Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Hey guys, welcome back to this episode. Sean Brewster here with you again today. One of my team members recently pointed out a fact, an interesting fact, that the most popular episode of our podcast series has been on cupping. I thought, well, maybe it's time to jump into that one again and have a little bit of a chat about this modality that often leaves so many members of the general public confused and misled, I think, a lot of the time by the things that we tell them, us practitioners, the things that we tell tell them about cupping, uh, what it supposedly achieves, uh, what it represents, the different markings on the body, what they mean and so on. So I thought in this episode we could dive into some of those misconceptions and maybe help to clear up uh, some of those misunderstandings along the way. So cupping is one of those modalities that's been around a really long time. And if you pay attention to the media, you'll probably notice that about every four years or so, it has a bit of a resurgence. You've only got to wait till the Olympics come around every four years and they'll guarantee to, to see a swimmer, a gymnast, somebody with those very distinctive uh, circular bruises on their body. And uh, pretty soon that, that gets highlighted in the news and social media and everybody wants to go out and try out this magical therapy that all the elite athletes are using. Uh, but in actual fact, and most of us know, it's been around for a couple of thousands of years in Chinese medicine. In fact, it's been around in many different uh, different folklore, uh, folk medicine um, practices around the world through Europe and lots of different parts of the world. But cupping as a modality is, like I said before, very misunderstood in a lot of situations and a lot of circumstances. The way that we practice it typically here, and the way that I certainly teach it is from a Western biomedical model. We're looking at physiology. We're looking at mechanical forces applied to the tissue and how those mechanical forces affect our physiology. If you look at cupping from a Chinese medicine or Eastern philosophical perspective, yes, the mechanics are the same in the way that suction is applied to the skin and uh, markings are often left on the skin, even though that may not always be the goal. But the explanation behind that, the the theories that underpin the reasoning for having the cupping vary dramatically from one culture to another and one, uh, I guess, conceptual understanding of how the body works to another. If we look at it from Chinese medicine perspective, the markings themselves that are left behind by the cups, which we would understand to be bruises, are often thought to be quite diagnostic in nature. In fact, they would say that you can look at those markings and tell the chronicity of a presentation and maybe even start to make some predictions on how long it might take for that person's pathology or pain to resolve, uh, and then what other factors might be at play along the way. I've studied some Chinese medicine. It was very interesting to find out that the perspective on the markings had very little to do with the physiology, more more to do with the, the metaphysical concepts that underpin Chinese medicine. And what, one of the, I guess, the key things to understand between Eastern philosophical approach to, to medicine, or if we look at Chinese medicine specifically, and our more Western biomedical model, is in the Western model, we typically look at structure first. In the Chinese medicine model, they look at function first. And so the physiology, the structures under the skin, tend to matter less when we look at it from the first perspective than they might do in the Western medicine model. And that's not to say that both sciences or both approaches uh, don't will discount the other's approach or the other's focus. It's just that we're looking at it from a different way. And therefore, the explanations to how this all works will take us in a different direction. So in Chinese medicine, we look at those markings and we might say, well, you know, if the colours are darker, that might indicate a, a greater degree of chronicity with the presentation. If they are more lighter, 
pinker in colour, then maybe it's a more of an acute presentation. That might, might indicate that the, the situation could be resolved more quickly uh, and then maybe less of a, a serious presentation. And then they'll, in Chinese medicine, they'll also look at the different colours in the bruises, whether the, it's a dark purple colour, whether there's mottled red spots through there, whether there's a brownness, a purpleness. And all of those different colours can mean different types of pathological states within the body, which are then impacted by a whole host of different things like emotions, the seasons and different organs and how they're interacting with the different components of the body. So it's a very, very complex and hugely fascinating way of looking at, uh, at cupping and then the, and how our physiology reacts as a result of these markings left on the skin. When we look at it from a Western medical perspective, we, we understand that the markings are simply just bruises. They can't be anything else. We are applying a very concentrated, strong mechanical force to the skin, which is produced by the cup. That can either damage some superficial blood vessels, or we can get some movement of the blood vessel of the blood through the blood vessel, which is possible without damaging it as well, into the interstitial space where we can have some blood causing a bruise just under the skin. If you've had cupping before, you'll know that it doesn't always cause a bruise. And interestingly, you can have a cup placed on both sides of the body on the same location. So if we on, those, on each shoulder, as an example, with about the same amount of force. And then after the cups are taken off for a period of time, one shoulder can be black and blue, sort of bruised, and the other one can leave no mark at all. And you think to yourself, well, how is that possible, right? It doesn't make any sense that if the same mechanical force is applied to both sides, the markings left behind should be theoretically about the same. But it's just not true. And so if we, we go back a step now to the Chinese medicine model. Well, in Chinese medicine, we explain this as, well, there's a different pathology present, and that might indicate something going on from that side. And often phrases, things like um, stagnation, this is a term that's often thrown around a lot uh, in, in, in the explanation as to how cupping works. And the challenge we have is that the term stagnation uh, rightly exists within the Chinese medicine explanation of pathology. We're talking about the stagnation of qi, or this metaphysical idea of energy flowing through the body, and then the blood that follows the path of that qi. It's not moving as through that part of the body as well as it should, and that causes this concept of, of stagnation. Now, in our Western medical model, we take that word stagnation, we look at it and think, well, hang on a second, if something's stagnant, it's not moving, if something's not moving in the physical body, then it's most likely unable to move anymore, and that's probably going to cause something like necrosis or cell death. Something, if something's not moving in the human body in our Western medical model, that's a real serious problem. But if we look at it from a Chinese medicine model, something that's not moving as well as it should can just be an indication of a sluggishness of a, of a system, or it might be an indication of early signs of a pathology or even potentially more chronic ones. But the term can be grossly misused, I think, in the wrong context. And so if you are a Western medical practitioner, if you're using myofascial cupping as your approach, I don't believe that we should be using terms like stagnation because it's going to potentially mislead and confuse the general public as to what we're trying to explain uh, when we call it, when we're producing these effects within the body. And so stagnation is another one. Another one that really, really grinds my gears is removement, removal of toxins from the body. Now, um, anyone who's been following us for a while will know that this one really gets me. You have to ask yourself a question, which toxins how are they getting out of the body, for one? Like if, if, the, if the cup is applied and it draws blood to the surface and that's bringing the toxins out, they're not leaving the body, they're still under the skin, and so we're not removing any toxins. And I think the challenge here is that 
often people, when I say people, us, you know, Western medical health practitioners, uh, will just use these throwaway phrases to uh, to explain to the general public about what we're doing and and why people are getting certain results. But we have to be very careful because it can not only just mislead uh, and re- misrepresent what we're doing, it can leave the patient with false understanding about what's going on and they potentially believe the wrong things. And, and then they're going to perpetuate those stories and tell other people that they might leave you and go, oh, I had cupping, leaves these marks. This is toxins leaving my body. I was stagnant. And another person hears that and goes, well, I'm stagnant. That needs to be very sick. Should I be around them if they're very lucky? The story perpetuates itself and turns into something more and uh, much more complex than it needs to be. And so, again, coming back to our Western philosophical approach or a physiological perspective of what's going on, the markings that are sometimes left behind is literally just blood under the skin. And the, the amount of mechanical force applied by the cup will dictate to a, to a certain degree how much of a bruise or how much blood is left behind under the skin. But then again, like I said, in some situations, the same amount of force can be applied on each shoulder and only one bruises, but not the other. So we have to dig a little bit deeper to potentially understand why, why would somebody bruise or mark up on one area of their body and not the other when the, the source of that bruise, the trigger for it, is essentially the same thing. Now, we often talk about in our, in our cupping courses this idea of uh, something called glycosaminoglycans or GAGs. We shorten that to in the vernacular. So glycosaminoglycans is a little molecule that sits in, the, in our um, connective tissue that binds water molecules to it. So the glycosaminoglycans and the water molecules bind together and they kind of create a plumpness, a fullness within our connective tissue. In healthy connective tissue, so tissue that has a greater degree of extensibility and has good circulation, good nutrient supply, uh, the kind of tissue that we would feel comfortable and, and, and quite um, at ease with, well, then they would typically have greater number of glycosaminoglycans and water molecules bound together, giving our tissue a sense of elasticity, a sense of vitality and, and, and um, smoothness and, and comfort. When we lack those glycosaminoglycans and water molecules, so essentially the connective tissue gets dehydrated, it gets thinner, it gets less elastic, it gets less uh, mobile, then the amount of buffering, the amount of cushioning between the skin and the underlying blood vessels is, is altered. And that, in, at least in the theory, I believe at this point in time, because it's very difficult to get a better explanation uh, of, as to why we get bruises uh, in some areas more than others, and trust me, I've tried. Uh, this is our best, best explanation at this point in time, is that these glycosaminoglycans binding with water molecules create a buffering, a cushioning between the skin and underlying blood vessels, so that when a cup is applied over healthy tissue, over, when I say healthy tissue, tissue that's not negatively affected by lack of hydration and so on, then... The, those blood vessels are better protected and potentially less likely to be damaged and therefore the blood is less likely to move through those blood vessel walls into the surrounding tissues. Now if you've got an area of the body where we maybe don't have the same degree of health in that connective tissue, within that would it potentially lead to less cushioning, less buffering between the skin and the blood vessels, leading to more pressure on those blood vessels, potentially leading to more bruising or, or blood outside of the blood vessels. And this, as I said, is my best explanation at this point in time as to why somebody can have two cups applied to the body, one on each side, and they might get bruises in one area but not the other. And I really want to emphasize the point that this is my best explanation at this time because until we can find a better explanation, uh, we have to go with some theory. It's very difficult to operate in any kind of medical model without some kind of theory as to why things happen. 
When we don't have a theory, that's when we start perpetuating these throwaway kind of concepts or, or ideas like stagnation um, and things like toxins leaving the body. And it's, it's quite easy to say those things to a patient and they'll go, oh, right, okay, no worries, and think nothing of it. But there'll be a whole you know, number of those people that will go away and then go, well, if I've got these toxins in my body, does that mean I'm sick? And if I'm sick, does that explain this symptom and this symptom? And it's like you know, having an X-ray or an MRI and finding something on there and, and, and taking it as gospel as to that's why you're getting your pain. We know we can't do that. So we do have to be very selective. We have to be very careful about the language we use and try to dig down into these modalities that we use in manual therapy and really understand the mechanisms at play is super important, super important. One other thing I'd like to talk about with the, the markings is the changing in colour that we typically see uh, over time. And again, in Chinese medicine, if you were to have uh, some cupping done and it left a mark and then you go back the next week and you have it done again and the cupping's changed, the markers changed colour, the bruises changed colour, the Chinese medicine practitioner might then say, well, you know, that's the... the the pathology changing its state within the body. But again, let's look at it from more of a Western physiological perspective. This has been studied and we've found that when blood is in the extravascular tissue, so outside of the blood vessels, that there's certain um, certain chemicals released into the, the blood that helps to break that down. And as that those little molecules go in and start to ease up the blood and sort of break it down, they will take away certain components of the blood which then will remove certain colouring from the blood, the biliverdin and the bilirubin. As that's broken down from the blood itself, it will change colour. It will go from more of those darker colours into the lighter colours and into greens and blues and things like that over time. So if you get a corked thigh and you wait and watch that, that bruise, it will potentially change colour over the, the days and weeks that will follow. As the body does what it needs to do, to break, as the macrophages come in and start to break down those blood, uh, blood cells, and so that helps us better understand why bruises will then change colour over time. The patient might call you up and say, that, that purple bruise you left on my leg the other day is now green, or is it sort of a bluish colour? Is that okay? He's like, yeah, it's part of the normal healing process. You can expect it maybe to change colour again as before it fades away. Nothing to be concerned about. And so come back to this point of, I can't emphasise the importance of this enough as a, as a manual therapist is to really not just go, okay, here's how our manual therapies work. Here's how the modalities work and the, the effects that the patient experiences. But why? What are the steps in, in the middle between the application and the patient experience? What are the things that we're doing physiologically to the body that we can usually, or that we can hopefully try to explain to the patient? But not only that, have a better understanding ourselves because a magical thing happens when you can understand the mechanisms of effect with manual therapy is that then you can start to selectively choose the right modalities to use for the right patients on the right time, on the right days for the right presentations. If all you've got is a bag of tools and a problem presents, well, then you dig around in your tool bag and you pull out the one that looks like the best one and you start with, start trying to solve the problem. Maybe the problem is not what it looks to be on the surface. And when we can understand those mechanisms, we can start to tinker, dig a little deeper and follow the physiology, follow the body. What is it telling us when we apply something? Is, it, is there more pain or less pain than we expect to happen? Is there more sensitivity, less sensitivity? What's happening with the tissue after the treatment? What's happening with the patient's experience in the week that follows? That, those things can give us clues about what's happening within the physiology. When we understand the mechanisms of effect, we can know, right, maybe this modality that I used on you last time is not the best one to move forward with. Maybe we've got a different technique that we've, we can pull from our, our toolkit to, to better 
uh, facilitate the change we want to see in your physiology. So something to consider with, with, with regards to all the different modalities we use. And there's a lot of science, there's a lot of evidence now to help us understand better than maybe a lot of us were taught, and certainly better than I, the way I was taught 20-something years ago as a health practitioner. The explanations I was given back then um, are, just, are just so false now. And they were true at the time because it was based on the best information we had. So we should never feel bad that we were given the wrong information. It's just the best information we had at the time. But we have to keep digging. We have to keep searching for better answers because each year we get more information. More information becomes available to us as health practitioners. And it's our responsibility. It's beholden upon us to, to source that information, try as best we can to understand it, dig through, um, the, you know, the, the information, to pull out the bits that are relevant to us as health practitioners so that we do a better job for our patients. At least that's what I believe to be true. So hopefully there's some bits and pieces from that about cupping that maybe opened your eyes or at least if nothing else, highlight some the importance of the language that we're using and the terminology that we're using and how that can play a part in our patients' understanding. So thanks for listening, guys. I hope that was useful. Maybe we'll do some more episodes on cupping coming up. If you've got any questions about cupping, or I should say just about any modality that you use in manual therapy, please send them through. Be happy to do some some digging and diving for you and maybe explore some of those things in the podcast and, and discuss that either here with myself or with some other uh, experts that we can get in and, and, and chat with as well along the way. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.